struck me about um, the president's speech today was that really most of what he was saying about Donald Trump is true of the Republican Party. I mean, there was a brief moment there. I mean, you could almost hold your breath for it while the Republican Party rallied around and called this out. And then they went back. This ultimately isn't about Donald Trump. For every elected official, most of the elected officials in Congress who are Republicans stood up and called Donald Trump out, said he was a liar, that he had attempted over. This wouldn't be happening. So what we've ended up with now is a major part of the United States doesn't believe we live in a democracy. And where that ends, like Mr. Nance would know a lot better than I, but it's not good. Yeah, let me, let me play for a very second. This is a cut six from our producers. This is, this is how Republicans sounded immediately after the attack that they also, and their staffs also, endured. Take a listen. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. All I can say is uh, count me out, enough is enough. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. And Congressman Aguilar, I'm gonna put you in the offer position. Love and happiness. Something that can make you do wrong, make you do right. Yeah. Love. Someone's on the phone, three o'clock in the morning, yeah, talking about how she can make it right, yeah, yeah, happiness is when you really feel good about somebody. And then there was a sound I will never forget. The sound of pounding on the door like a battering ram. The most haunting sound I ever heard and I will never forget. I called my wife and, you know, it wasn't until I heard her voice that I thought, wow, you know, this is like one of those calls. We all were wondering if we would die in that moment. I was 15 feet at most from the front of that gallery to the door. So this is a moment where we as the Senate can thank Officer Goodman for his bravery in protecting the Senate, protecting the Capitol, protecting our democracy. Did you know you were that close to those folks when you came down this hall? No, no, I did not. I was very fortunate indeed that Officer Goodman was there to get me in the uh, right direction. Present during the insurrection. Camille Jayapal of Washington, Ruben Gallego of Arizona, and Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. Thank you all for being here. And, you know, I want to start with you, Congresswoman Jayapal. 
you actually had gone through knee replacement surgery, you know, just weeks before, a couple of weeks before um, this insurrection. So you were not actually, you know, necessarily physically capable of running had you needed to run. Um, I've heard this story of you having to rely on Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill just to get you out of there. Talk about your experience that day and, and what you remember. Well, Joy, that's right. I'd had knee replacement surgery five weeks before. And um, when everything, when we started to hear about the mobs outside, my husband actually texted me and said, I think you should come back to the office. And, you know, I couldn't because I, I didn't know if I could make it back to the office walking. But I also thought that that was the safest place I could be, was in the Capitol with the speaker. And that's what I texted him back. And when we realized that we had to, we were being told to get from the Democratic side to the Republican side, we had to crawl under banisters. And I actually went back up there this morning for the first time since that happened. I wasn't able to go back to the gallery. I just couldn't do it until today. And I realized how many banisters we had to crawl under. And I had a cane five weeks out. I couldn't really walk. And when I, that picture that you're seeing up on the screen right now, I had to stretch my leg out to the right because I couldn't bend it. And I actually rolled from the seat onto the floor because it was the only way I could get down onto the floor. And, um, it, you know, was thinking about what do I do if these insurrectionists make it in? Jamie is right. We could hear that pounding on the door. And we were just so close to the doors. There was no furniture to barricade the doors either like there was down on the main floor and so um, I got my gas mask in one hand and my cane in the other and I thought well I'll just hit him with my gas mask and hit him with my cane to try to get out of there but all of that joy is you know is about the trauma of that day but it continues because this is clear and present danger that we're still in this was not a situation where the day happened and it was done we're still yeah. uh still in the middle of the fight yeah my god what have we become what has this country become Today, a violent mob descended onto our capital the same day that Georgia elected the state's first black senator and first Jewish senator. The attack on our capital was also an attack on those victories. And our refusal of having to accept the will and the votes of black and brown Americans. The events of January 6th were certainly anti-democratic, but they were also deeply rooted in anti-blackness. Insurrectionists included anti-black extremists. They hurled a torrent of racial slurs at black police officers while displaying potent symbols of racism, hate, and white supremacy, including this particularly gruesome symbol of anti-black terrorism. What was perhaps the most stark display of white supremacy was how the mob was allowed to leave. The vast majority not carted off, not rounded up, not shot at, even as they broke through barricades and smashed windows and hunted for the vice president's head, forcing the question, what if the insurrectionists had been black? Join me now.
Welcome to the Walking It Out podcast with Elliot E. Stokes. I want to say thank you for listening. Um, Hello to all my listeners, those who have just got on board and those who have been riding with us for a minute now. I thank you and I appreciate you. Um, This podcast is where we decide how we're going to walk it out. Not just that we're going to walk it out because really... You have a choice whether you're going to walk it out or not. You're just going to have to figure out a way to navigate through life. Um, It's just something that we have to do. And um, today, I'm going to get just a little political, but not really, 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 really political. Because I think this is more than just political or politics. This has to do with the essence, the DNA, the who we're supposed to be now, as someone who has experienced many different things in my life I know that um, this January 6th situation is not that different from what we've experienced our whole life you know um, I'm proud to say I am a proud black man and have experienced a lot of things because of that um, that has to do with my rights um, not being taken into account as much as someone else's rights I've been thrown into police cars for no reason other than I look similar to someone Uh, my people don't usually get the benefit of the doubt Um, and to uh, top all that off a lot of times we aren't even um, the ones who have done it yet because of certain biases um, people assume that we've done it and we have discovered that even videotape won't be enough a lot of times to exonerate us from the suspicion that we were doing something wrong or even the facts on why we either uh, were prosecuted Um, were thrown in jail or prison or in some cases um, lately uh, murdered right on the street in front of family members in front of girlfriends in front of boyfriends in front of um, mothers and fathers Tamir Rice in a park with a fake gun toy gun gun down in 10 seconds a uh, young man um, from Virginia who had his phone to his head and the cop proclaimed that he had a gun to his head and that's why he was at danger because he had a gun to his head even though that gun was a cell phone and if you're a cop and you can't see the difference between a gun and a cell phone you shouldn't be a cop that's just um, simple and plain no matter if you're black or white you just shouldn't because your your intelligence is way off in that area um, Trayvon Martin killed um, by the overzealousness of a vigilante and finally um, the one that's most disturbing to me is Philando Castillo killed in front of his girlfriend murdered by a cop shot him so many times with his daughter in the car and 
no accountability. And why do I say these things? Why do I say this? Am I making this a black and white issue? No, but I'm saying the country has made it a black and white issue because as I watched what happened on January 6th, I watched a full mob of mostly white faces be able to storm our capital, be able to break and damage things, defecate in the hallways, smear blood, um, ransack offices, and do all these things without any type of pushback, um, seriously, as we've noted and, and as we've seen um, in recent months, the, the full weight of the government was in non-existent during that time and I remember in that the June of that same year uh, June of the year before excuse me uh, where Black Lives Matter were out protesting peacefully nothing's going on and the National Guard and the Capitol Police are on the steps of Lincoln Memorial in full riot gear full guns and, and looking like an army and these people were the uh, the Trump mob came, and they were <clears throat> treated in a different way, even though they were showing the aggression. And you know, and that's one of the things that we deal with on a regular basis. And now the country is starting to experience it. One of my favorite authors and um, favorite commentators, Joy Reid. Uh, has put put forth is um, the understanding that this is not something that is dangerous to one people or not, even though the grievance itself is predicated on a lot of white supremacy type of concepts and an under uh, a fear of the country being turned into something. Um, that is actually at the heart of what we call a perfect union, where all colors, all races, all backgrounds, all ethnicities are equally part of this union. That's what makes us the United States of America, and that's what makes this a democracy. But what we're seeing now is that the fear of the country um, not being overrun but the fear of the country start to look more like the country has put some people in, in, in a place where they are fearful to the point of they would call, allow themselves to believe something they know is not true. Um, without getting into the election and all the, if it was real or that, we know, all of us know what happened there. Donald Trump just lost. He's always been that way. So we're not surprised on that. But what I am surprised in is that now even democracy itself isn't enough to pull back the rhetoric and pull back the nonsense and pull back the lies. The loss of democracy itself is no longer enough. And before that used to be, um, that would be the change agent that would cause some type of bipartisanship or some people will come together. And what I'm seeing now is that even that's not enough. The danger is, is that 
as another one of my favorite art um, authors had proclaimed Heather McGee um, in her book, one of wonderful book I highly suggest the sum of us and how our shared and common uh, um, ideals and beliefs basically we all want uh, good for our children we all want a nice place to live we all want to make sure that uh, we're providing best for our family our shaman our common excuse me uh, shared goals that if we all decided to to say that and and understand that we realize that we are better together than we are apart and that's what this episode is about as much as about January 6th I believe that my my job is not to get on one side or the other only I'm on a side I'm not saying that I'm not but I'm not on the um the bandwagon of a particular party but I am on the, the side of truth and on the side of justice and on the side of us uh, remembering that without us we can't do this that democracy is dead because we as a people has allowed it to die or will allow it to die and I want to come to you, not with a long podcast, but a short one uh, with some inserts, of course, from my friend Joy Reed, and um, also uh, the people that were on her uh, show, Stuart Stevens, uh, Michael Steele, um, uh, just a, a, a plethora of people um, who making the point that one of the things that we've seen now is that there is a vast inequality when it comes to accountability. Because if that had been black and brown people, and anybody in this country would know it, and any of my listeners would understand it, it would have been a different outcome. There's no way they've been able to leave. There's no way they'd be able to get to where they were supposed to go uh, or, or where they were going. They would never made it back home. Uh, some of us are not making it home and we're just getting a traffic stop. They erected a gallows outside the Capitol building. A symbol of hate and terrorism that first just terrorized the black and the Negro and brown people. And now uh, we're seeing how our common uh, beliefs the things that we all can believe in are shared experiences rather than uh, differences because it wasn't just black and brown people that those people were going after. They were going after everyone who believed different from them. So that means that we all have a common shared interest in making sure that democracy does not fail and that people are held account equally. Not just in the same, not just in a, um, one way for different uh, certain people, another way to other people. Uh, y'all don't mind her, it's just my wife. Um, there is an understanding that it's different in this country for people who like me and for people who like my one of my best friends. 
and, and I know this because I've been on both sides and most of y'all don't know that I am in my family. Um, we're mixed. Um, so we have white people in our family. We have black people in our family. We have a couple of things that makes us um, um, uh, in shared common interest. Um, but what we have seen thus far is that the people that we are entrusting our democracy to have turned their back on it and have decided that now is the time to forget everything that we ever believed and that even their own constituents, even their own people, they've disrespected because this is not good for none of us. I just want you to know. It took me a while to get to that place, and I was screaming at the television last year just like everybody else. And on this this uh, solemn occasion of um, the remembrance and the memorializing of what we saw and those we lost, we are, um, I am realizing that we are not better than we were last year. We are worse. But we're only worse because we've allowed ourselves to get to that place. Because we've forgotten that we have more in common than we do apart. That this democracy belongs to all of us. And it is imperative. Deeply imperative that we fight for it together. That we allow no one to strip it apart, including a former defeated president. And the Republican Party, who um, honestly I was a part of, um, they don't resemble what they used to resemble anymore. And now we have one political party that's completely sold its soul. So their soul and don't seem to want to get it back um, so it goes back to the people we are in a nation that its governing principles are about a nation a government that is for the people and by the people that we send people who represent us as if to say, you can go there because you represent me. I put you there. And in this area of where we're fighting for the soul of this country, we have to remind ourselves that in unity, the good book says, there's strength. Not division. And any kingdom divided as itself is going to fall. So even though these these lies and these half-truths may be being perpetrated right now, it may feel as if they're they're getting traction. It may feel as if they're going to to, uh, do us in. It is God who has the final say. And these things are not going to stay. They're not going to last. And eventually, uh, it's all going to be uncovered. And I'm going to talk to my Republican colleagues um, in, in 
really, really um, advise them that it's going to take a lot to keep this lie together all the way up to the midterm elections and all the way up to the time where they feel they can regain power. But I will say this, at what cost are you willing to completely and totally sell yourself? Because there may be no repercussions or accountability when it comes to uh, our Justice Department and and those um, like most of you who have power. You know, someone like me would be in jail already. I'm sure somebody like you who are listening to me would be in jail already. But uh, people with power, for some reason, can find a way around it. Uh, Usually they're the most dangerous because they have the most money and they can do the most damage. But it's still us that they uh, persecute the most. But I would say that even if they get away with it on the outside, no one will get away with the things that they're doing to their soul. There's another scripture in the good book that says that he gave them a request. Talking about the children of Israel. He gave them what they wanted, but he sent leanness into their souls. That means that uh, they may have everything that looks like it's okay on the outside. But on the inside, they're tearing themselves apart. They're eating at their soul. They're eating at the who they really are. And that's what this is all about. I want to encourage you. On this January 6th, remember that we're in this together. And not apart. Remember that we need each other. We don't need to be against each other. We don't need to um, be at war with each other. If we're going to fight, let us fight together to save not only this democracy, but to save the desire of the common good. The the understanding that we do better when we're doing it together. This is about love it's not about partisanship it's not about your way versus my way it's about hey it's better for you to be my brother i can help you i can help you to to distinguish some of these things that that are causing you to to act a certain way react a certain way believe a certain way but most of all we're americans we're all americans and it shouldn't be a set of rules for one people and a different set for another. So, I want you to um, to think about that this January 6th. Because if we don't think about it, no one else is going to do it for us. And democracy will still be in peril. You know, still it feel as if the bad guys are winning. Remember, history is always being written. But whoever gets it to the page first gets the most legitimate 
that's the story everybody's going to believe. Let us decide to write our history about what we did before January 6th. We voted in a democratic election. 150 million people decided that this is who we wanted to govern. We, did, we wanted a difference. We wanted a change. We were tired of the same, the hurt, the vitriol, the malice, the mean the, that was going on. And we came together to do that. We also came together to um, create relief for people who were struggling with um, COVID. And we decided that we were going to do it together. We decided that instead of um, war in the streets, that we was going to celebrate um, our common and shared interests and goals. So I want you to do the same thing this time. Let's not think of it only as a political thing. January 6th meant more than just that. It meant that some people decided themselves that the rights of others were not to be taken into account that because we won because we wanted a different way of life we needed to be put in place we need to be checked Certain people decided that violence was better than ideas. And I would stress that if you don't have the right idea and your ideas aren't selling and no one is is understanding you or, or is going with you or supporting you because of your ideas, then maybe what you need to do is change your ideas. Because this is about the soul of America. And the country is changing. And whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. And we are going to have to learn to live together. It's not black people who fought for freedom. It's black, white, brown, Asian. It's everyone has fought for freedom. And we fought on the same battlegrounds. We fought on the same streets and the same marches because we understood democracy can't rest on the shoulders of some. It must be a fight we all accept. This has been the Walking It Out Podcast with Elliot E. Stokes. Special episode, remembering January 6th, the day that our capital was ransacked by people who call themselves patriots, but are actually just perpetrators.
and have yet to understand what it means to live in a free democracy and what it means to be American. Well, that's my piece. But I believe we all can do this together better than we can do it apart. So you stay strong. Nobody told you they loved you. I love you. Yeah, there's that. true patriots for the more than 150 Americans who peacefully expressed their vote at the ballot box. The election workers who protected the integrity of the vote and the heroes who defended this capital. You can't love your country only when you win. You can't obey the law only when it's convenient. With great power comes great responsibility. That is what January 6th has taught us. It is far easier to watch something burn than it is to build something. A year after the insurrection, our democracy remains dangerously fragile and desperately needs reinforcement. Former President Jimmy Carter, who has spent much of his post-presidential career focusing on protecting and advancing democracy, issued a stark warning in the New York Times. He wrote, our great nation now teeters on the brink of a widening abyss Without immediate action, we are at genuine risk of civil conflict and losing our precious democracy. Historian Michael Beschloss had a similar warning. If we lose our democracy this year, we are unlikely to get it back during our lifetimes. I can't think of anything more important than that. Now these days, it feels like we are constantly being let down by everything and everyone. But I want to leave you with this. America's exceptionalism has always been sown by the millions of regular, ordinary Americans who have summoned the courage in the face of fierce opposition to rewrite destiny. It's Crazy Horse fighting for the Sioux Nation at the Battle of Little Bighorn and winning. It's the hundreds of faceless women who gathered at Seneca Falls telling the world they'd had enough of being treated as second-class citizens. It's Fred Korematsu who refused to accept his racist imprisonment in a Japanese-American internment camp. It's the hundreds of defiant and frankly terrified freedom riders who faced violence and death because they refused to accept America's dehumanizing policy of segregation. It's the young activist named John Lewis who led hundreds of marchers over the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which helped deliver the Voting Rights Act. It's Dolores Huerta, who waged a lifelong crusade to correct economic injustice and to help improve the lives and wages of farm workers. And that same fearless fight for justice is being fought today by folks like Latasha Brown, Stacey Abrams, and all the election workers who face death threats for counting our votes. These people are bending the arc of America's moral universe towards justice. They are waiting for it to just happen. So remember, with 10 months Till the next election, we are not powerless. The greatest defenders of democracy are not those in power, it's you. The millions of Americans living your lives quietly, trying to do what's right. If democracy has any hope of surviving, it'll take all of us to keep bending that moral arc towards justice. And that is tonight's readout, All In With Chris.